curious, competitive, compassionate. Salespeople are drawn to their careers in much the same way musicians are drawn to music. Once you've learned the language of sales, the beauty is in your ability to personally interpret what you've learned to suit your personality, your interest, and your skill. My name is Roger Burnett, and this is the So You're In Sales podcast, where we consider ways to grow as people as we advance in our careers and learn firsthand from those ahead of us on the path to accelerate our journey. I'm lucky to get to talk every two weeks with entrepreneurs, business owners, thought leaders, authors, and people of all walks of life, each with a unique story to share and a look at their lessons along the way. Prepare to be educated, informed, entertained, and inspired. This is the So You're In Sales Podcast. The So You're In Sales Podcast is sponsored by Social Good Promotions. Social Good Promotions was founded on the premise that any business can stand out from their competition when they are doing things they really believe in. True success these days is measured by the ways your employees feel about working for you and the ways your business is making the community a better place. Ultimately, it's about the ways you and your business will be remembered. If you're looking to grow your sales revenue while activating social good at the same time, we'll be your favorite marketing partner ever. Book a meeting with us at socialgoodpromotions.com, follow us on Instagram at sogoodpromo, and let's get connected. We've done great work using our unique and effective strategy. Let us show you how. Now, as the manager of recruitment and account management for Raleigh, North Carolina-based True Staffing Partners, Sarah Roberts represents and works on behalf of cybersecurity, e-discovery, and privacy clients and candidates nationally. She brings to True several years of strategic talent and account management experience, having previously focused her recruiting efforts in the software and technology industries. Sarah has extensive knowledge of sales, passive, passive candidate recruiting, information technology, and account management. In her most recent role, Sarah has won three consecutive awards, Rookie Recruiter of the Year, Recruiter of the Year, and Project Coordinator of the Year. Sarah received her Bachelor of Arts degree in psychology with a focus in developmental and cognitive psychology and double minors in English and history from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. In her ongoing subthread called New to Sales, we take a look at sales professionals from various fields and their perspective on sales as a discipline and their perspective on what to present potential new hires when looking to grow your sales team. She also works placing people in the very current and uber-relevant field of cybersecurity, so there's a wealth of information in here on the topic about attracting successful young candidates in a field where there are more opportunities than there are people to fill them. It has a lot of uh, relevance, and it's relatable often to what we all encounter in sales as a what we would define as crowded and difficult field to penetrate with lots of other options and very little to differentiate from one candidate to another when resources are scarce. Excellent conversation. Sarah's a joy. Lots of energy and enthusiasm. I think you really enjoy it. Take a listen. So, hey, welcome, Sarah. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. 
I, if I know you, like, I think I know you, this is going to be like, we're going to have to worry about there being just a little too much personality between you and I on this podcast. So we're going to do our, <laughs> and do maybe our enough time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Exactly. All right. So, you know, I, I do this series is a sub thread of the overall. So you're in sales series where I try to get younger folks on the podcast who are employed in some kind of sales role, you know, under the age of 30, having some noteworthy accomplishment of some sort that, you know, I talked about in the open when it comes to what you've been able to accomplish at a relatively early age. So thank you for agreeing to come on. I appreciate that. Thank you. Not for sure. I love that when you found out that I was doing this with other folks your age, you were like, hey, that sounds interesting. Yeah, I'm ready. All right, let's rock and roll. Yours is a somewhat uh, what I would call sexy field when it comes to things like cybersecurity, right? Like I'm, I'm all uh, Jack Bauer, 24. I remember Chloe sitting <laughs> at the computer and right, like they were such a team and that was all tech, right? That was cyber. That was like the early days of how that was being portrayed. And now we here in 2019, full blown, like supposedly Russians are meddling in elections using the internet and, <laughs> you know, there's all kinds of crazy stuff going on. So tell me, tell us, how on earth did you find your way into all of this? So I, surprisingly enough, was recruited into recruiting. Um, I didn't wake up one day and decide I want to be a recruiter. But I was in sales uh, for Citrix out of college um, was selling software. And they did some of like the security. They did a lot of like cloud technology, like go to meeting and things that I was working with. And then I got recruited to a recruiting company to recruit in essentially like information technology, information management, and was there for three years. And through just networking, really, was approached by the company that I'm currently with. And there was some overlap, more so just recruiting in the information technology space. And I was very interested in cybersecurity. A lot of the people that I'd been talking to and recruiting for the previous three years had been raising their hands saying, hey, if you do anything in cybersecurity, hey, you know, I want to sell cyber services. I want to sell software. So just based on the conversations I was having in my job and my own research as far as where I wanted to go in my career and kind of having a time to reflect on what I wanted to do next after being approached by the company I'm currently with, they had given me the opportunity to be able to recruit in what I knew, but also grow into the cybersecurity space. Really, 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 really enjoying it. So I was kind of thrown into it. Um, and given the opportunity, I, I didn't really seek it out, but it's been awesome. And I, and I love what I do. There's a, a number of pieces of this that are interesting to me. So one, and you tell me if you think I have it right. I mean, I, I knew you during that phase of your life before you made a decision on what your career was going to be. And if you had to bet me, me and somebody else are betting on what Sarah's career is going to be. I, I thought you right. were tailor-made for a career in law. <laughs> yeah. And so like, th- this is such a common theme in sales careers where I thought I was going to do this, but then when I started looking into what real life was going to be, I decided to do something <laughs> different. And it's not right. that it's not that they're not related. I, I would think I, I, I can see the line between those two, but talk a little bit about like that journey from where you thought it was headed to where it ended up. I worked for a law firm in college and was really, really interested in that space. Took a couple of like undergrad law classes and took the LSAT. I studied for six months and took the test to actually go to law school and thought for sure that's exactly what I wanted to do. 
And then as time came to like start applying to schools and realizing the cost of going to law school. Also, I did some research on more, not that I would be average attorney, but I did research (laughs) on what an average attorney would make where I lived and where I knew that I wanted to be and in different areas that maybe I was considering living at that time. And I sat down with my parents, both of my, my dad and my mom are both remarried, but all of them are in some sort of sales capacity. So I kind of took a step back and started talking to my parents. I I think people really understand what their parents do, but it was a point in time where I was kind of like, okay, tell me really about what you do and how this is and how you guys have been successful and how lucrative it's been. And not that money is my only motivation, but coming out of school and it being extremely competitive, you know, that was something that I wanted to make sure that I, you know, was going to be able to support myself. I realized and did some more research about like sales and what I could do entry level and things. So going to Citrix, like a big name company, getting a lot of training from an inside sales perspective really catapulted me to be able to do different things from there. And I mean, I, like I said, I just happened to get recruited into recruiting, but I think from, you know, a transition of law I mean, lawyers are all in some sort of sales capacity too. I mean, people come to them when they need them. They're not doing as much outbound activity from a sales perspective, but people shop around for attorneys. So you really have to be able to sit down and think about and be able to explain what you do, how you do it, why you're better than somebody else. And that to me, I think from the sales standpoint, I really knew that I wanted to work with people regardless of what that was. And I think that's one of the reasons law was interesting to me. Maybe not like the criminal side, but like corporations, including like the psychology degree I got, maybe going in and being like a corporate attorney or something with with businesses, that was interesting to me. And then when I got into recruiting and I heard about, you know, I kind of thought that they were just, you know, annoying people that pharma (laughs) companies use for medical device sales or something. I didn't, you know, I didn't, I was very ignorant to the industry until I got into it. And I mean, I think in recruiting and what I do now, there are so many, even if you're an engineer, at some point you're in front of somebody selling either what you do from your job or selling the company or something. So I think you know, I get the best of all the worlds. I get to work with attorneys. Now I get to work with corporations and executives at the executive level. I get to work with, you know, engineers and, you know, learning and talking about what they do all day. So I think this position for me ended up being the best of all of what I wanted, but didn't know that I wanted it at that point, I guess, if that makes any sense. If there was a common story of successful salespeople, it sounds very similar to that. There's a couple pieces of that that I think are important for people to think about, especially peers of yours, Sarah, who may hear this. The value Mm -hmm. of mentorship is so incredibly important at that stage of your evolution when you're just getting going. And, you know, you have the good fortune of having uh, in many of your parents, people who have been successful Mm -hmm. in in a sales career that could give you an insight into what the reality of that was, because... There's lots of folks, I think, that would hear that. And many people would just choose to go on to law school and say, you know what, I, this is what right. I think I'm supposed to do. And I'm not going to accept any other inputs from anyone else. I'm just going to go on my own instinct. And you can avoid a lot of expense and you can actually find yourself on a faster path to success should you be willing to sort of accept that kind of mentorship as things are evolving, even if it's right. not your parents, it may not be your parents, but that doesn't mean that you can't find someone to be able to talk that through with. And there are, it, you know, that's a classic. If you ask for it, people will be willing to give that to you in return. So please, by all means, listen to what Sarah said. Yeah. 
Uh, and then to me, you know, mm-hmm. the other piece of it that's beautiful and I, knowing your parents like I do, they gave you the same advice that we gave our middle son, Dylan. It's go somewhere where you can get really good training because you, right. come, you come to your sales career with a lot of uh, ambition and energy and enthusiasm when you're early and you need to invest that in learning. And a lot of times the best way to do that is to get a combination of in the field training along with some more curriculum-based things that can teach you some of the basics that are going to be important just to kind of have your feet underneath you. And a place like Citrix, with it being software as a, you know, as a, as a vertical market, I mean, you, you really took advantage mm-hmm. of uh, that UNC Chapel Hill diploma to get yourself in a good spot. So long story short, do good in school, work hard, you get a great opportunity. <laughs> a lot of that hasn't changed yet, right? Um, right. Let's, let's transition a little bit into the field that you're in right now, because I think it's important for us to, to note and to actually be specific and purposeful about saying that you are uh, playing in a very male-dominated field in cyber. Talk that is about, correct. <laughs> so talk about like your perspective on that as a female in your time out there recruiting. And then have you seen anything... That is, uh, that looks like pro woman that we can point to and say, maybe things are getting better. Yeah, absolutely. So it's interesting. I was just at a conference. It's called the RSA conference. It's, you know, 50,000 people, companies, you know, looking for either new services or technology. It's one of the largest cyber conferences to my knowledge. Uh, my colleague and I, another female, she, she and I went out together. And I think out of 50,000 people there overall, there was like 37,000 males. It's definitely male dominated. I think that one of the reasons, and this is more just speculation on my part, but also just from knowing and talking to people all day, every day in the industry, a lot of them start out more technical, like engineering or analysts. And that, when you're boiling that down, more of like math, science-based is also just more male. Uh, I think more men are just interested in that vertical, I guess, when you're in school as well as the corporate world. So I think that's where some of that stems from. Like from a perspective standpoint, I think that there's a huge opportunity for women to get into the industry. And I think that companies, and I should say, I know that companies are making a huge push in the initiative to hire more females, especially females in leadership roles. And, you know, we have clients that are, you know, saying, hey, we're going to hire the right person for the right job. But being very, very interested in female leadership in all sides of cybersecurity, whether it's proactive or, or the reactive side. You know, I, I recently read, I think, Robert Hershevik put out an article that I saw yesterday on LinkedIn about, you know, I think the title was something like, number of women in cyber rising more to be done. So there are more women becoming involved in the industry. But I also think that encouraging and talking about it and giving individuals those specifically women those opportunities Uh um, is starting from things like school cybersecurity you can now go get you know you can get a degree in a lot of these things right and i think that a lot of um, colleges are pushing more to offer more classes and to make it so that more and more females are are being involved just from the beginnings of where that comes from in my opinion Women have specifically right now have a huge opportunity in the industry because I, companies right now and probably for the next two years will be more so likely to maybe hire and train somebody that's a woman that may not be exactly right for a job, but is willing to invest in a woman so that she is trained well and things like that. So I think women have a really big opportunity right now to be invested in by a lot of these companies, especially if they're interested in either people management or doing sales, because I think sales in general, 
is also more male dominated and even more so in cyber sales, you know, they have a really big opportunity to do that. Um, and one more thing I'll say on that note as well, from a recruiting standpoint, men are far more likely to apply for a job that they're actually not really a good fit for, or they maybe, maybe they have about 60% of what the requirement is asking, but they're confident in their ability to say, I can learn that I can do that. I'm interested in doing that. Whereas females are like 10 times less likely to apply to a job unless they can check almost 80 or 90% of what the requirements are asking for. So I think a confidence factor applies to that. I think women should just be a little bit more forward in their, I want to do this. I'm interested in this, you know, invest in me and I'll, you know, I'll work hard. Well, gosh, I would say on the other side of the interview table as the potential hire hirer, be mindful of the fact that what could be a very qualified and maybe even more talented candidate than the male is sitting across for you and is suffering from a bit of a confidence crisis. So maybe you might want to factor that in a little bit into your decision making when you're thinking about candidates, yeah. right? And, and just know yeah. that there's that inherent problem in technical jobs at this stage of the gender's evolution to a certain extent in their willingness to exude that kind of confidence. And we can get there. And I would agree with you. I think there's a lot of work starting to get done. The simple fact that we're talking about that and that statistic that you offered is one that I actually agree with and know because I've seen that oftentimes myself. That, that, mm-hmm. in, that in and of itself is a great first step in the right direction and having people recognize that this is an issue. I think as of like 2020 or 2021, there'll be like three and a half million unfilled cybersecurity positions because there's such a gap of talent of what the industry needs versus what the market actually bears as far as candidates in available. So, you know, the fact that we have such a war for talent in cyber with such a large gap in even having available talent there's even less women anyway. So that probably also plays a role. Guys and gals out there, you have children who are in college. And if you have a sophomore female college student, you should be really listening right now and be (laughs) really, really trying to encourage that young lady to consider a career in cyber because Sarah just said it. She has more positions than she has people to give them to. And I'm guessing guessing that these are positions that pay pretty well. yeah. Yes. So, you know, you have this combination of supply outstripping demand and a needing and willing pool of bidders to seek you out. I mean, even if you don't have all of the tools when you're ready, there's probably a willing employer on the other side to help you get trained for the rest of what it is you you need. And I think that with the with such a huge gap, companies are a little bit more flexible with whom they're willing to interview or hire. And it's more about a culture fit. I mean, I guess, depending on how technical the role actually is, but people are willing to take a little bit more of a risk, even from the company side to somebody that maybe doesn't check all those boxes. Because again, there's such a war for talent that you know, they're willing to take those risks. We talk about interviewing folks under the age of 30 who are kicking ass and taking names. But interestingly, <laughs> unlike a lot of the other folks that I interview, you're actually on the kind of young side of your coworkers. So how did that factor into your decision making when you were evaluating this? When you made that decision, do you think that the way you decided is similar to other people your age? Or do you think that you have a unique perspective? Or was there something beyond that that, that was drawing you to, uh, to make this choice to go specifically to the place other than the fact that they wanted you. That's always good. But you have to make Uh, a decision whether or not that's a good fit. And that's a great question. I think that I had a little bit of a unique situation. I think that I was willing to take a little bit more of a risk in taking a new job. But I also had been at my other company for like three and a half years. And as a recruiter, you know, you don't want to be somewhere new every single year if you can help it. But I think the timing of everything 
where I was in my life, you know, a little bit of a cushion that if something ever happened, you know, I had a, a partner already that he was willing to say, Hey, if something happens, like, you know, we'll figure it out, we'll work it out. But I think overall, being that I am money motivated, I mean, being able to get the increase in compensation that my new employer now is offering, and also the opportunity to take the next step rather than going into a company and just doing exactly what I was doing. You know, that was that was very motivating to me. And I took the time to really like think about what I needed to do and what I wanted to do. It, it probably took them about five months to, or five months for me to convince myself that this is really what I wanted to do and where I wanted to go. I think I was maybe a little bit in the beginning of our conversations risk adverse. Um, but the more I discussed it and the more I realized the upside, the more I was excited and wanting to do that. I think I, I can say that I'm part of the general group of millennials that likes the flexibility of like working from home and creating my own hours, but also in a situation where at nine o'clock at night, sometime my husband's like, okay, let's, you know, eat dinner. <laughs> but, you know, I think the opportunity for employers to give more flexibility to people, but also needing to trust that they're actually going to do what they say they're going to do and, and work hard. You know, we do a good job of of vetting out and interviewing the people that we bring on here just internally to make sure that are you getting back to people and are you responsive? Because there is definitely a, a, a higher level of responsibility, I think, when you're working remotely. But I think that there was just a lot between, you know, the increase in the compensation they were willing to give me, the industry that I saw that was exploding, and I was going to be getting into a company that was, you know, already doing that. So I was able to jump right in and help build that. But then also the opportunity to work remotely and have that flexibility. I can really kind of create my own day and my schedule. And also the more I work, you know, from a sales perspective, the more I put in, really, the more I'm, I'm getting out. It was an opportunity to come in and make more money, go into an expanding industry, and then also, you know, have the flexibility of, of working remotely. And If we were offering a checklist... Millennial, millennial job satisfaction checklist, <laughs> flexible working conditions, opportunity for advancement. The last thing I want you to talk about, because we'd be remiss if we didn't talk a little bit about uh, choose culture, what piece of yeah. that and what that's meant now that you've gotten there and realized what a great decision you make, made, how much of that has to do with the culture that you encountered? A huge part of it. We're a very flat organization. You know, I talk to the CEO of our company every single day, very accessible it's very much of an environment of ask for forgiveness, not permission, within reason. He hires people that he knows and he trusts. You have the autonomy to do what you know you need to get done. There's really great training when you first start. There's a sense of, I guess, friendship. I mean, we all work remotely. So at some point, and, and being the talker that I am and the social individual that I am, I mean, at some point, you're at your house and just on the phone and talking to people all day long. You know, I call my coworkers and, you know, we talk about other things other than just work throughout the day. Just, you know, so you kind of have that break. I'm definitely very self-motivated, I would say, in this environment is very, you have to be able to be self-motivating, even from a culture perspective. But our culture, I mean, I mean, we're very fast-paced. The quality, the quantity, and the quickness of everything we do, it's a combination of all of those things. So what I really like is the opportunity to be able to move really fast, to be able to work with really, really smart people, and also, you know, have all of these flexibilities and things that millennials and, and I think all people really enjoy as far as working from home and having that flexibility and going to trade shows and going and being invited to speaking engagements and just really feeling like I don't 
I think I really do think I'm the youngest person at this company, but I don't, nobody's never made me feel that way. That's never come up. Last question, knowing that you've identified this culture that is fast paced and flexible and uh, allows you to be self-motivated. If I, as Mm -hmm. a leader of a sales centric organization myself, if you were going to give me like, what are the three things I've got to nail if I'm going to attract someone Mm -hmm. of your caliber to work with me? I think that the three things that are most important the ability to see long-term, I guess, long-term success. As funny as the interview question is of where do you see yourself in three to five years, I think that that's actually more of a question that it, that an organization when interviewing somebody or when trying to create a culture that people want to go to should be asking the person, uh, the person should be telling them and they should actually be the ones gathering that information and using that rather than hearing just what the person has to say and if you're impressed by what where they want to be. Because I think that millennials or younger people are having this exciting culture. It's also important for people to be able to say, this is where I see myself what can you then as an organization offer me? And can you offer me that? I don't think yeah. that's the first interview question that you, you know people ask, but I think it's important to be able to have a story of, okay, I'm hiring this person at this level or I'm creating this culture. This is where I see the company being in three to five years and actually having an answer for, for them about where the company is going in three to five years and if they align. The alignment is key because if the interviewee is, uh, I'm, I'm gig economy, I want just to get some skill development and get paid while I'm doing it because I actually want something aspirational here down the road and I just need this right now to get me where I'm going and you're looking for long-term stable placement, that's a bad combination. Right. So if you're yeah. not if you're not asking exactly. that question, you won't be able to know that you're out of alignment. Like right. And if I'm interviewing somebody to work at True, and I ask them why they want to work here, and their answer is I want to work from home, that's also not a good fit. That's a perk, I would say, but that's not the reason that you also hire somebody. So the flexible work environment, I think is important, but I think that that also shouldn't be maybe the only thing in like the culture of the company. Hit me with another one. The compensation has to be competitive. People, it's it's not the most important thing all the time, but people are going to start jumping around if they have interviewing or talking to somebody of a high caliber and they are high caliber. You have to assume they have like five other offers of places that they could go. And at some point, money is going to be some of the motivating factor. So I think if the money is great, and they can see themselves there and building and being a part of the vision that you see for your sales-centric organization, that makes the decision to go to that company a lot easier rather than it coming down to just money. And I think another one is the opportunity to learn and grow from a career progression standpoint, whether that's certification specific to the industry that that person is in, whether it's being exposed and being invited to speak at different things, if that's something that a person likes, whether it's being sent to grad school or getting somebody's MBA. I mean, I think that having those types of perks to be able to tell somebody, you know, hey, along with our vision of where we want to be in five years, you also are going to be paid pretty well, but also you have the opportunity to then grow for yourself and your own personal brand and what you want to do. And if you want to move into cyber sales, we're going to pay for this certification or that certification. So I think, you know, education, money, and then just the 
investment. That's a great, that's a great way to describe it. And for our industry, which is comprised mostly of small business people, we struggle just so terribly with trying to figure out compensation models for new entrants to what we do because small business people don't typically have more salary money for another person lying about. So, but we also recognize that one of the biggest constraints for employment of college graduates is this just huge student debt that most people are dealing with. You can't just walk into a commission-only job on day one when you've got a mountain of debt following you where you're going. So we're struggling with that a lot. But those other two things that you're describing, like there are other things that you can point to within what it is that your overall compensation might represent. And what better way... Than to make those certifications and investments in people to say like, look, I know I might not be able to give you all the money you need today, but if you work with me, I believe that I can help grow you to a point where the money that you're going to need is going to come to you. And I'll make that investment in you with those other things that you're talking about, which really are still money. I mean, that's real money. It still has to get paid, but it's getting paid to something that should have an amplification effect on the, the career of the recipient. Well, and I think being in a sales centric environment, you have to be okay with taking on risk. I think that that's just part of what that individual that's looking to go, whether it's a small business or any business specific to sales, at some point, the the money is is important, like I said, but they have to be willing to say, okay, you know, I know that if I do my job, what can you offer me then if I, you know, I think that's what's important too. Like, you know, if you can't offer a huge salary or things like that because businesses are small, I think the opportunity to say, well, if you do your job, this is what I can offer you because this is where we'll be and this is where we're going. And by you bringing in these new businesses, we grow as a company, you know, or equity or, or just, you know, other things. But some of the other aspects from a culture standpoint of having autonomy, working remotely, feeling like you can wear multiple hats and all of those other perks that go along with wanting to go to a company, people are willing to take less money to have the opportunity to feel like they're being invested in from you know continued education or certification, having the opportunity to work from home and not spending two hours a day commuting and having to live closer to a higher cost of living city where all these jobs actually are. For small businesses, I think the opportunity to hire people remotely will be a win-win for everybody because those individuals won't be, quote, mandating as high pay as somebody that has to go into an office in Chicago every single day. (laughs) Well, uh, get a great degree from a good school, work your ass off (laughs) for a good company, do really well, get recruited to an even better company who will invest in you if you work continue to work hard and do well and great things have a way of happening for you. I don't care what age you are. I don't care when you were born. That sounds like a recipe for success to me, Sarah. So thank you for taking the time to share that with everyone. Yeah, thank you. It's my pleasure. So there you have it. I thought that was a really great interview. And one of the things that really stuck out to me was a sentence that Sarah said. She said, In sales, I find that the more I put in, the more I'm able to get out of it, whether it's financial relationship, certification, growth, opportunity, you know, she's really ran the gamut in a short period of time. But the constant that we've seen from Sarah that really knows no age is her just absolute determination and willingness to do the work necessary in order to be successful and being willing to have the confidence and the uh, forthrightness to ask for what she wants 
when people approach her and tell her that they would be willing to do things for her if given the opportunity to do so. That is a difficult thing for most people in the world to do. And I'm really happy that we had a chance to talk about how gender plays into what she does for a living, the culture of the business that she's working within, and the industry in which she's working as a whole, and ways that that has an impact on society and the workplace uh, in 2019. So please, if you like what you're hearing, give me some suggestions on additional guests or topics. I'm happy to source on behalf of the listening audience. And again, please, to continue the momentum behind the podcast, please like it, share it, subscribe where you listen to your podcasts and give us a review so that other people can continue to find us and help us with the work that we're putting out there to help all of you be the best salespeople possible. Thanks again. And we'll talk to you next time.